0: yeah oh i love that we're like totally platform we're like we're like platform ira glass who already has such a platform right (laughs) like right (laughs) he does
1: (laughs) right ira glass really does not need our promotion at all um but uh we we do what we can you guys
0: This is Blockbusted, a podcast about the movies we love and how they shape the world as we know it. Hosted by Michael Wolf and Lily Yasou.
1: Well, tight everyone, welcome back to the your favorite podcast that you had forgotten was even around because you have been getting zero alerts about new episodes from us, so whoops, sorry, definitely my bad. Um, Michael Wolf, how the hell are you? Welcome back to your own podcast.
0: Thank you, yeah. No, we uh we've been we've had a little bit of a break because we don't get paid to do this. We do this for fun. Um, but we are trying to bulk record a couple episodes, so hopefully you will have some more consistent content coming out in the next few weeks. Um, yes. As of this recording, that is the plan. We reserve the right to change it whenever the <laughs> fuck we feel like it.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: But there's very little you can leverage us
1: with at this point. I'm sorry, everyone. Also, I already told Michael this, but I'm, like, literally sitting on the floor of my mom's closet um, with a blanket from my childhood propped up to, like, ensure optimum silence. So this is a very glamorous moment
0: over here. It's beautiful, beautiful. Bringing it full circle right back to the womb, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So we're talking about La Land today. Woo! Directed by the one and only damien chazelle
1: also i promise we will eventually do a movie that was directed by a woman like this is a conversation we've had but it's just been like oh like the films that have come up at most films have been just a a medley of white dudes but rest assured at some point we will have uh, a more female-centric film making an appearance but yes today we're talking about la la land um and I think we're doing, we're getting a little lazy, guys. We didn't do any real prep for this episode. We decided we're just going to keep it fresh and fun today. So, um, yeah, I've obviously, I've seen this movie like twice prior to this, Michael. I would imagine similar.
0: Um, no, I've seen it, I've probably seen it like 15 times. Really? Yeah. Oh my I, God. I, like this, I, I like this movie. I think it's great. Okay.
1: Great. great. Um, so, okay, our regular scale is it good? Is it important? Uh, where do we fall seems like if nothing else it's a it's a fun time if you I, I don't I can think of almost nothing I've seen 15 times so you're way ahead of me on this front
0: it's it's one of those comfort movies um yeah. even, even though the ending isn't like the ending is like technically not comforting but like I don't know it's just it's 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 it's, it's got some nostalgia it's got some comfort it's it's pretty like it's a nice like journey of Feel good, I guess, even if the ending isn't exactly feel good. Um, So I I like it for that reason. Um, I think it's very well made. Um, Uh, I don't think anyone would deny how well made it is. Well, some people were like... A lot of people, like, when it was going through the awards season, I remember everyone was like, Oh, the cinematography is amazing, but everything's out of focus. And I'm like, fucking... Really? Whatever. Like, I I, I guess so. But, like, to me, the colors just really pop. Like, they really they really thought about it the dream sequence is fantastic they're they're on that they're on that fake hollywood backlot stage it's just beautiful um like it
1: yeah i was really struck by the whole dance sequence at the end where they do like the comprehensive flashback of like what if me and sebastian had been together and the whole like them dancing through the orange groves and stuff i was like wow this is fucking beautiful Um, not like I doubted that before, but was, like, even on my tiny-ass screen in my house. I was like, this is beautiful.
0: Yeah, as someone who appreciates craft, this movie is really good at that. And I think the script is, like, pretty tight. Um, we're gonna talk about whether or not this movie is important. I would argue it's... I would argue that it thinks it's more important than it is, but it sells a really harmful message. And so, that is... That is something that... I would, that is probably where I fall. I say, I like it. I think it's good. I don't know that I would call it an important movie, but it is going to bring up a conversation that is important. I think.
1: Yeah. And I think I was really sort of brainstorming on just these initial questions right before we hopped on where I was like, well, do I like this movie? And I, I feel like you'd have to be a pretty jaded person to not like this movie to be like, I did not have a good time. I'm like, well then fuck you. You have like no basic sense of, of fun. Um, So I enjoy, like, it is, as my friend Rachel says, kind of a grilled cheese movie, which is to say, like, ah, I can sort of, like, have this on in the background while I make a grilled cheese. Like, it's good. It's easy. It goes down real smooth. Um, So I did enjoy watching it, especially after the uh, clusterfuck of, like, sad, sad man movies that we had done before this is nice. Um, and I, yeah, I agree. I think at a craftsmanship level, it's really beautiful. I don't know that I think this movie is problematic. I just don't really think this movie is about any of the things that people wanted it to be. Um, and I, yeah, I, I like Damien Chazelle. I think he's a great writer. I think he's a really strong director. Um, I think he's made some interesting thought provoking pieces of art that are not this, and this feels very like fun and indulgent and i don't say that in a bad way i think if you have the you know financial freedom to just make the kind of art you would enjoy this feels like i I, i'm sure they had a blast making this and i i remember when i saw this in the theater on christmas in 2016 2017 Mm -hmm. um and i'm from and live in boise idaho and so there's like the little nod where like uh (laughs) um Ryan Gosling's character is like I have to go on tour and Emma Stone's like where are you going and he's like well, I'm going to Boise and everyone in the theater was like woo Boise. So um that's cute to me but I just uh yeah so I don't I don't think I have any strong negative feelings about this movie. I think it just reinforces a lot of pretty normalized beliefs around like filmmaking that I don't know are bad but just aren't really true and maybe never were true like this Mm. whole film feels to me like a big nod to like oh the nostalgia at a very aesthetic level of like old hollywood and musicals and dancing and like ginger rogers and fred astaire and big hair and great outfits and i i think that's all great and i don't think there's anything wrong with enjoying that but i think that that is still the sort of outlook that we hold to like how movies are made or how hollywood works now um yeah and i just don't and as we know that was never really true because hollywood used to be like super fucking corrupt and rapey and now i would say it's like corrupt in different ways um but it's a business and it's ultimately not that different from any other kind of like big business industry you could work in and this whole film is just so about like the romanticism of being an artist and as someone who is an artist and believes that's beautiful, I think that's great, but I just don't, I don't know that this is a very accurate portrait of anyone who's ever worked in Hollywood at all. And I think Damien Chazelle knows that. I don't think he's delusional. Um, But yeah, that's. Yeah.
0: yeah. And I have two more things to say on this, which is like, yeah, yeah. um, Well, we'll talk a little bit about probably one reason not to like this movie is if you are black and care about racism um, cause this movie is kind of, ra- it is pretty racist, um, in terms of like cultural appropriation in terms of a white guy trying to save jazz. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. That discourse is not like new or like a hot take. Right. Um, and so we'll, we'll get into that a bit. My thing about like, as far as m- movie musicals go, I do have a bone to pick with this movie because I was a theater kid growing up and I have yet to see a good I have I have yet to see a good movie musical that actually truly combines the the medium of movie with the medium of musical. Uh, uh, totally. And uh, everyone was saying this is it and it's not. Um, and my reasoning for that is twofold. Number one, Ryan Gosling, Emma Stone can't sing. Um, there is- I, I'm gonna interrupt. I know this was an opinion. I, I think we can go
1: with you could have hired people whose main thing is singing. And you opted to hire people whose main thing is acting, and it's not that they can't sing, or nor is it that they can't dance, but it's that you went for actors who can sing as opposed to singers who could act. Like,
0: that's a good nuance. You know what I mean? Like, I
1: couldn't fucking do that. Like, I'm, I'm like, let us not dip into this sort of jaded. Like, oh, they can't even sing. I'm like, of course they can sing. Like, if they were at karaoke, we would all think they were good, but they are not. You know, it's not fucking like Adina Menzel up there.
0: Yeah, it's just like... So it's like uh, in the first opening number, I remember being in the theater being so excited and there's this opening musical number where they're on the 405 and we're going to do the summary in a second. But like they're on the 405 and they're singing and there's basic like musical theater 101 diction issues with with the cast singing where I like don't understand what they're saying. And to just hear this be like... so, To hear the music be so overproduced. Like I think what I would really, this is just my personal bone to pick with movie musicals. And I think the only other musical that kind of tried to attempt this was Les Mis and it's fucking Les Mis, which has its own problems. Right. But like also
1: just not a fun musical. Like no one walks out of Les Mis and it's like full of joy. Like,
0: <laughs> right. Right. But I, I want like part of like, part of what i liked about lame is that they tried that i respected and it just like it just happened to be lame is that they were trying on it so that was the problem is like this notion of like we're going to we're going to record the music live while we're doing the camera shot right as opposed to doing what and la la land right. kind of split the difference on this there were some songs where they did this but most of them they did not where they don't record uh where they don't record live they 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 lip sync to the performance and it's like a music video and that affects it and i don't think that is true into the spirit of what a musical should be i don't think that is fully taking advantage of what the medium of the film format can be and Uh, sure that is and and everybody was like oh la la land is the best movie musical ever it revived movie musicals And i'm like no it fucking did it well
1: sorry. i mean i think maybe at an industry level it did like we don't tend to really make movie musicals at all and it is an original movie musical which true. is pretty much unheard of true um but i think and i think this is interesting you brought this up this was not something on the on the prep sheet nor was this necessarily a rabbit hole i thought we were going to go down but as someone who uh, yes was also a theater kid and uh on occasion still is um i don't i just i don't appreciate like I just don't really think theater should be adapted for film at all, at all. I think that essentially under misunderstands what theater is and why it is great. And I think that now because we're so accustomed, be it through music videos or, you know, film performances like the VMAs or the Emmys or like we're we're very accustomed to seeing people sing, be it pre-recorded or live. Uh, on camera all the time or the visual spectacle of that I think the idea of like oh but let's make this as a movie I'm just like right but that's not the magic of going to the theater and that's the whole point of theater period you know so this is really not imminently relevant to our conversation but I think even outside of the scope of musicals you look at like tony award-winning plays that become films that seem to always have viola davis on them you know like fences <laughs> or, or, or again who's an amazing actor an amazing actor not not no one can shit on viola davis but um yeah where i'm just like i like plays are bad movies they don't make sense it's weird to be like why are we trapped in one place i'm sorry i thought one night in miami was fucking terrible Okay. I thought it was terrible. And I was like, yeah, it feels like a play that for some reason is a movie. And like, if we were on stage, it wouldn't feel confusing as to like, why will no one leave this place that they hate? But in the context of a movie, it's just confusing because you're like, if everyone wants to leave the hotel room, why don't they just get up and leave?
0: Um, Yeah. There's a, there's a fundamental misunderstanding of the format. And the best example of this discourse playing out in real time right now is the Dear Evan Hansen movie there's this whole discourse around like Ben Platt playing Ben Platt. Evan Hansen is a high schooler. Right. Um, but Ben Platt is like in his mid to late twenties now and is playing a high. He is playing. He was, he originated the role on Broadway and now in the movie version, he is still playing that role and he looks so much older than everybody. And so there's this question of suspension of disbelief and it gets into questions of like, could Hamilton ever be adapted into a movie? Like, I don't, I don't know. Right. Right. But that's a different right. conversation than the one we're trying to have. But it, it's like... Right, right. There is... I think... Yeah. I think part of... Part of it is like a lot of people in... Like a lot of people in cinema, in Hollywood, don't understand... Like don't understand theater and like the the medium of theater. And and so what they think of, of a musical like is so different. And there's like a... There's just a disconnect always whenever these two things merge. Yeah. March.
1: Yeah, but I think part of that is just innate, right? I mean, most screenwriters who I like are primarily or at least originally playwrights. I think you get a lot of crossover, maybe less so at an executive level, but at an employee level of people who move back and forth between those spaces. So I don't think it's like ignorance. I just think it's like, oh, this is a lucrative piece of IP that we can adapt. And it's like, right, but should this be adapted? And like, this is, I'm sorry, the last thing I'll say on this segue about multi-mediums being adapted to theater. But i was at sundance a couple years ago and i went to this panel with uh, ira glass Mm. um of like this american life yeah love ira glass and literally i learned immediately like hot take for anyone who like goes to a panel at sundance like people are so afraid to ask questions and you should just raise your hand and be the first person to ask a question and you can talk to like whoever the fuck is on the panel and it's very worthwhile um but he was i don't remember who the other human on the panel was but it was someone in ira glass and they were talking about his sort of, you know, career as a podcaster, storyteller, etc. And um, anyway, and I asked the first question, and I was sort of like, you know, how do you feel about your work, very journalistically heavy work um, that you do in the podcast space? How do you feel about that being adapted for film? And he was like, I think that's so stupid. He's like, I understand. He's like, you know, I'm open to it. And like, my agent asks me about this all the time. And he's like, you know, I understand the desire to you know, to be like, well, a good story is a good story, but where he's like, hi, we spend all of this time and energy to make a great podcast. And to be like, but could this podcast become a serial or a limited series? It's like, no, it doesn't need to be something else. Like, why can't you just listen to the podcast? Um, And this (laughs) made me feel very close to Ira Glass and is something that I just like essentially agree with like so deeply. Yes. Um, So yes, be that musicals or pieces of theater or just other mediums, I don't think that's a hard line that you cannot adapt mediums in ways that are interesting, but I just feel like more often than not, it's like, maybe don't. Maybe just come up with new, better ideas, which for all of its faults, La La Land does in fact do. Um, because it is an original concept that they decided to do on their own. So I guess we cannot begrudge
0: them that. What a beautiful segue into the summary that we need to do. Um, Thank you. So we can talk about this movie. Um, yeah. yeah. Hit that's... me with
1: the summary, Michael.
0: That's so. Tell me what this movie is about. Well, and that's just that's so well put. Um, and I love Ira Glass for that reason. And just I totally. anyone who doesn't know who Ira Glass is or listen to Ira Glass talk about creating, uh, you have yes! permission to pause link it in this the show notes. You have permission to pause this podcast and go listen to him. Um, and then yeah, come back to us. Yeah, we will literally
1: us. we will we will link his little TED Talk moment about creativity in the show notes. It's like one of my favorite things. And even if you're not creative, it will be like a good thought provoking nugget.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love that we're like totally platform, we're like, we're like platform Ira Glass who already has such a platform, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> right, he does. <laughs> right, Ira Glass really does not need our promotion at all, um, but uh, we, we do what we can, you guys. He's, he's a good human being. He's a good human being. He's thoughtful. Um, but so La La Land, uh, so came out in 2016, directed by Damien Chazelle. The main cast is pretty small. We got Ryan Gosling as Sebastian Seb Wilder. We got Emma Stone playing Mia Dolan. And then we got John Legend as this guy named Keith. And then J.K. Simmons in this tiny, tiny bit part. Named, his name is Bill. I don't think you ever hear his name. He runs the restaurant that Ryan Gosling plays piano at. Yeah. Um, and he's only in it because he was in Whiplash and Damien Giselle and him have a relationship but it's fun to see him in it because he's fun in everything he's in because it's jk simmons totally Uh, i'm a 100 percent platform jk simmons stan until he says something problematic and then we can talk about it and Uh, if he has something you have permission to yell at us in our email because i would love to know because i get burned because i was like i love david bowie and then everybody's like wait do you not know and i was like what do i not know about david David
1: bowie do
0: uh he had a relationship this is a separate podcast he had a relationship with an under-18 person. Um, of course he did.
1: Okay, well, yeah, please, everyone out there, please do not cancel J.K. Simmons for me, because that will really
0: ruin my day. Um, <laughs> um, okay,
1: Michael, hit a summary. Summary time. Summary Tells time. This film,
0: what happens? We've taken to reading the Wikipedia summary because it's very concise. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and that's what we're going to do from now on. And if anybody knows a better website for summary, also hit us up with that. Um. Yeah. So... While stuck in Los Angeles traffic, aspiring actress Mia Dolan, AKA Emma Stone, has a moment of road rage directed at Sebastian Sev Wilder, which is Ryan Gosling. And Sebastian is a struggling jazz pianist. And after a hard day at work, Mia has an audition that goes awry when the casting director takes a call during like an emotional scene. And then that night, Mia's roommates take her to a party in the Hollywood Hills. And they're like, someone in the crowd could like jumpstart her career um, or sweep her off her feet or something. Uh, and then her car is towed and she walks home from the party in disappointment. Um, meanwhile, there's Sebastian is playing a gig at a restaurant and he's doing a jazz improvisation, um, but the owner, J.K. Simmons, doesn't want him to do that, only wants him to play traditional Christmas pieces. And Mia overhears him playing as she like passes by. She's like on her way home. And she like she's so moved by hearing Sebastian play that she enters the ret- restaurant and like literally watches J.K. Simmons fire uh, Ryan Gosling's character for like doing jazz improvisations instead of playing Christmas music. And so he storms out, and Mia's trying to compliment him, but he is like so pissed at being fired that he completely ignores her. And then we cut to like months later, and Mia runs into Sebastian at a party, and he mm-hmm. is playing in a 1980s pop cover band. And there's some fun, (laughs) there's some fun flirting where she gets him to play Iran and he's like, no, don't do this or whatever. But, but she does. And then after the gig, they like walk back to their cars. Um, and like, uh, there's this like lovely dance sequence at, on top of, uh, the hill by Griffith park or whatever. And there's clearly chemistry between them. And then, um, then they meet up, uh, at Mia's workplace where she, uh, She works as a barista on the Warner Brothers backlot and she's explaining her passion for acting and then he takes her to a jazz club and he's explaining his passion for jazz and how he wants to like open his own club and Sebastian invites Mia to a screening of Rebel Without a Cause and she accepts but Mia's actually dating this dude named Greg (laughs) And which also, uh, by
1: the way, they've like never mentioned Greg at all until like right now where you're like, oh, they're flirting with each other. And then they're like, surprise, she has a boyfriend named Greg. And I'm like, where the fuck did Greg come from? Like, why is he a part of this world?
0: <laughs> it, it is absolutely very random. Um, and so she's on a date with Greg and she's just like, nope, fuck this. I'm going to go to the screening of Rebel Without a Cause. And um, then they like. Uh, They visit the Griffith Observatory and they have like a, it's like really romantic and there's like a dance sequence. Um, And then uh, Mia keeps auditioning, um, but she's not doing well. And so Seb encourages her to write a one woman play, to write a one woman play. And Seb, meanwhile, starts to perform regularly at a jazz club and the two are dating and they move in together. And then um, Seb's former classmate, Keith, John legend invites him to be the keyboardist in his jazz fusion band, um, which is Mm -hmm. going to allow Seb to have a steady income. And Seb's not a fan of this. He's like, Oh, like they're, they're mocking jazz or whatever. And we can talk about all of that in a minute, which Um, is
1: clearly not great, but yeah,
0: it is. It is one of the most problematic things about this movie by far. Um, but, but, uh, but like, Mia's talking to her mom about Seb, and like, she's like trying to convince her mom that Seb's working on his career. So he's like, "I guess I'll join Keith's Pop Fusion band," um, and the band is successful. But uh, Mia goes to a concert and realizes he's not having a good time performing the music, and um, they, right, uh, which
1: is interesting because I feel like they really lean into this idea of like the music's not good where it's like, oh, he's selling out. And I'm like, okay, also, their music is, like, they're very good. It's fucking John Legend. Like, it's not that their their band is not doing well. And so there's this sort of weird undercurrent of, like, Ryan Gosling wants them to play pure jazz. And I'm like, I don't know, Ryan Gosling. Like, I don't know that you get to, like, lecture John Legend about pure jazz,
0: you know? Yeah, it... There's so much to unpack with that, especially within the music industry. Um, and like the music industry is the definition of cultural appropriation of black culture um, but so the band goes on tour and uh, Mia and Seb have an argument and Mia accuses Seb of like abandoning his dreams um, and he's like no you just liked me more when I was unsuccessful and then uh, Seb has to do a photo shoot and Mia's one-woman show is like is uh is going up and he actually misses her one woman show and the one woman show doesn't go well because there's like no many there's no people attending and mia does hear some comments about her performance and they're dismissive and uh they get into a fight and she's like she can't forgive him she can't forgive seb for missing the play and with their previous argument and so she breaks up with him and she moves back to boulder city colorado where her parents are um Meanwhile, Seb's still living in their apartment and receives a call um, from a prominent casting director who did attend Mia's play and wants to invite her to audition for an upcoming film. And so Seb drives all the way to, to Boulder City and is like, "You need to do this audition. Um, and so they drive back. And during the audition, uh, Mia's just asked to tell a story. Um, instead, they're like, we're gonna build this, we're gonna build this movie around the actress. So just tell us a story um right about and we just know Which is that... sort of
1: essentially in juxtaposition of like oh all of her other auditions it's like super shitty genre stuff where she has like eight lines and plays like sassy teacher or sassy cop or sassy doctor so it's like oh this is an opportunity with like people who care about her as an artist who are going to give her the space to you know like build a character and actually do the kind of creative work that she wants to do
0: yeah, and it's, it's just really weird because it's just like, I feel like this would never happen this way, knowing how Hollywood works. Well, I feel works. like that
1: totally happens. Interesting. Because the idea is also not that it's like a blockbuster. The idea is that it's like, oh, like, it's this cool, smaller movie. This, I feel like that totally happens.
0: Okay. Um, uh, in, so Mia sing, sings a story about her aunt, like who's a former theater actress who dies of alcoholism and was chasing her dreams, and so that's where we get the classic song that won her one Emma Stone, the Oscar here's to the fools who dream. Um, and then, uh, Seb is like so convinced that the audition was successful and is like, Mia, you need to devote yourself to acting. Um, but they are realizing that like if Mia gets the part, she's going to be in Paris, Seb's going to be on tour and that they're always going to love each other, but they're going to have to part ways if they want to follow their dreams. Um, and so the relationship ends. Uh, and then it cuts to five years later and Mia is now a like famous successful actress married to this dude named David and they have a kid and one night they like stumble upon a jazz club and it, it and they Mia realizes that this jazz club is the club that Seb always wanted to open um, and uh, Seb notices Mia in the crowd And he plays their, like, love song on the piano. And there's, like, a dream sequence where they imagine what their relationship might have been like. Um, And there's this just, like, this really lovely moment where, like, Mia's husband is, like, let's get ready to leave. But, like, uh, Mia and Seb, like, just have this, like, they just, like, smile at each other, like, quietly. Um, And then Mia leaves. And that's the end of the movie.
1: Woohoo. Yeah.
0: So that's La La Land.
1: That is it. And it's interesting, I think, in hearing you summarize it, not that I didn't know this or recognize this while watching it, but it's really, maybe it's not a romantic comedy, but it's mostly a love story, mm-hmm. right? With a smattering of set dressing, it's very L.A. centric. It's, you know, like the moment where they go see Rebel Without a Cause, right? We're really trying to jam in some beautiful, nostalgic, old Hollywood imagery. It's a very pointedly L.A. piece, Um you know there's some sort of fun montages of like oh nodding to famous clubs restaurants uh california icons uh etc but it's really a story about two people who love each other who ultimately have to part ways because of their creative differences um, although to michael's point on the notes you're like did they have to part ways because it did not seem like any of their desires were really mutually exclusive <laughs> like i feel like they could have been successful and also had each other um but that is not the not the main bone i would like to pick but does seem like there are some logical fallacies in there would you agree
0: <laughs> there ab- absolutely absolutely
1: Which I know is not the point, but still, I'm like, guys, I feel like you could have fallen in love and also been successful, and I don't know why those things are, like, mutually exclusive.
0: Yeah, and I feel like it was a creative choice made to be like, ooh, it's subversive because they don't end up together, and it's like, they they could have ended up together.
1: Right, which I do think is very sweet, and to me, like, that end sequence of the fantasy of what would it be like if we had been together is really very moving and well executed, Um, but just at a logical level, I'm like, I don't know that that was necessary.
0: But so why are we talking about this movie in particular, Lily? Why did we want to talk about La La Land, a movie so many people have seen, so many people obviously know why it might be problematic from like mm-hmm. a cultural appropriation perspective. What is Blockbusted's official take on this? Like, why yeah. do we want this?
1: Yeah, I think I was interested... And I don't remember who put this on the list. You and I have gone back on so many things. (laughs) I'm going to go with everything was kind of a mutual decision. Um, But I think I I was interested in examining what are the kinds of stories that Hollywood tells about itself? um, And what does it mean as not to dismiss other art forms like, of course, music, uh, but that Hollywood is uh, sort of, I don't know. Uh, universally like the not just a tastemaker but sort of a trendsetter in like how we think about certain kinds of industries or careers or um, passions that sounds kind of douchey but to be like oh how do like how does Hollywood conceptualize of itself seemed like a worthwhile discussion for us to have and so I think that's what kind of prompted us toward, toward this film and a lot of I mean we'll loop back to like Yes, it's obviously problematic for a white guy to be like, I'm trying to save Jazz from the only character of color who has a name in the whole movie. Like, where I'm like, yeah, that's kind of uncomfortable. Um, And I don't want to say, but, like, that is uncomfortable, period. However, like, Damien Chazelle... Almost exclusively makes movies about jazz and music and has made other projects that more prominently featured not just people of color, but that I think were far more nuanced explorations of those topics. Um, Whiplash is, to be fair, a story about two white guys, um, but he did a limited series on Netflix called The Eddie um, about uh, a jazz club in, I want to say, Paris in modern day really beautiful features a super kick-ass multicultural cast of of musicians um it's in french it's in a couple of different languages it's a really great series um so this to me just feels sort of like tactless casting you know i feel like that problem would be like i'm like why couldn't ryan gosling's character have just been an actor of color um and or like john legend's character could have been white like to just subvert that dynamic i think would have and you know to be like what ryan gosling can't be a guy who likes jazz i'm like of course he can be a guy who likes jazz but like if you're choosing to put the framework like that's the difference between film and real life right it's not that it's problematic in real life for a white guy or it's wrong for a white guy to be like i'm really passionate about jazz like that's fine but i'm like hey if you're like framing this for the purpose of a film perhaps that was not your best move so there's that yeah um but I think most of what I find striking about this is the idea of, like, and La La Land is not alone in perpetrating this myth, but this really lopsided idea of, like, Hollywood is a meritocracy where you get discovered, mm. right? That we really want to shit on, like, industry insiders. Industry insiders are dicks, right? That it's like, oh, we hate people. That, that's nepotism, right? That that's like, oh, that becomes this gross entourage like, sucking everybody's dick, surrounded by the world's douchiest, greasiest people, and those are the insiders, and they're bad, right? So we want to support the outsiders. We want to support like, oh, that I am but an innocent girl who just got off the train from my podunk town, and I will make it in Hollywood. And that's just not true Mm -hmm. at all. And not that there are not greasy sleazeballs who are insiders, and maybe hypothetically there are some people who are outsiders, but like everyone in Hollywood is an insider. There is no way you would ever be considered for a job anywhere if you do not, like, Like that is just connections, and I don't think that's unique to Hollywood. I think that's sort of the unspoken reality of any given workplace, and I find it interesting that we're framing our protagonists, Mia and Sebastian, respectively, as like, oh, you get discovered by just making your art, by going about living your life in isolation, making your art, and someone will see you and point to you and say, I pick you. And that's just not how anything works. Like, I, I don't know that there are creatives who are discovered that way. Um, yeah. And I guess whether or not that's problematic, it's just very naive. And I think, again, I don't think Damien Chazelle is stupid and doesn't know that. Or this was some, like, strategically evil plan. Or I'm just like, it's kind of that.
0: Well, to me. well and I want I want to say, like, two things on this. Which, one, like, I think... This is like a this this movie is like half baked in that like it's trying to make a plot around the notion of does success happen overnight, right? And like sure. I think it does live up to that in a little bit of a sense, but part of like when we talk about like how this movie is very white, right? Like I think this conversation is especially relevant, right? Like and I I'm, I'm not black, so you know, uh, I can't speak to this fully, but it's like if if Mia or Sebastian were black, right? Like, could they really ever be, like, a Hollywood insider? Like, and how would that affect how they are moving through everything very differently, right? Um, Right. That kind of thing is, like... And it's not to say, like, this movie should have had black people in these roles, right? But it's just, like, they would have moved through all of this very differently. And I think we can talk in a second about, like, how this movie doesn't even really like accurately portray what it is like to pursue your dreams in Hollywood but like we know for a fact that like not only is just being discovered like this myth right this lopsided myth but it's like it's especially a lopsided myth for anyone who is not white and has money
1: right I mean I guess I would take that a step further I want to be clear I don't know that my beef my bone to pick with this has to do with like Mia and or Sebastian should have been black I think that if they had been played by by non-white people first of all I don't think that would have made this movie a different movie in any meaningful way right and I don't I don't know that I have any major like critiques i think this movie is exactly what it is mm-hmm. and it is a fun girl cheese movie and i don't think it's the job of this movie to have been a different kind of movie i don't think it's making the world a worse place by not exploring the nuance of the industry but i think it's recognizing that this movie is emblematic of many kinds of stories we tell about the industry which absolutely do tend to be very white centric but just sort of rely on this idea that like of if the two paths available to you as a creative, and I realize this gets into a little bit of like, let us explain the biz to you, but like the two paths available to you as a writer, an actor, a director, where you are the talent, as opposed to working on the more business side of Hollywood, right, is either you can make your own stuff, which we deeply oversimplify how incredibly hard and deeply privileged it is for you to ever be able to make anything even on your own outside of the industry, for you to raise the funds or collect the materials or the crew or to have the means of executing that vision in a way, A, that it's good, and B, that it could ever be seen, mm-hmm. is incredibly hard. And that if and that most people, like 99% of people, go the other route, which is starting as an assistant and working in the industry. And that I want to be clear, I'm not saying that's lesser. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm not even saying that's nepotism, but that, like, we really cling to, like, the 1% of, like, no, you just need to go out and follow your dreams and make the best art imaginable.
0: And you'll be discovered.
1: Right, as if the hard part of making it is making the art. Like, oh, no, how can I make really good art? And, like, I guess without making this overly about me, but a little bit to make it about me, I'm like, no, the hard part is not making the art. That's a fucking privilege. That is a delight. Not that it isn't really hard, but that's what you look forward to doing. The problem is everything else you have to do in order to both maintain financial stability to make your own art and then for your art to be seen by anyone to the extent that it matters um Mm -hmm. and was interesting to like in a very cursory research of damien chazelle right he's he's he graduated from harvard's film program um he his first feature film uh premiered at tribeca right And if we were to look at his studio system page, he has only like five or six movie credits under his belt. And he won an Oscar when he was 32, which is amazing. And I want to be clear, I think he's super talented. I think he's totally deserving of that. But to be like, that is a one in a billion kind of creative right there, right? Like the idea that you decided to make La La Land coming off of your Oscar high (laughs) instead of making a movie for Steven Spielberg Like, no one is ever being in the position to make that kind of decision. And then like, oh, so we shouldn't care about what Damien Chazelle has to say about art, but to be like, wow, that is a pretty unusual situation for anyone in their 30s to be in. Um, Yeah,
0: Yeah. so I guess whatever that is worth, you know? Yeah, no, I think that's all really well said. Um, I think that's totally really well said. And like, I guess like, it's interesting to me, I guess, like in terms of like, when we talk about the struggle, right? Like part of what comes up, comes to mind here is the starving artist trope. And this movie for like all of the following your dreams doesn't really show the starving Mm -hmm. artist Mm -hmm. trope that much, which is right. Which is like fine in the sense of the starving, what's problematic about the starving artist trope, right? Is like, we are romanticizing, like exploiting yourself, your trauma, your financial situation, being poor by choice or um, or being poor, not by choice, or legitimate necessity to pursue your dreams. Right. And this doesn't reflect that. Um, and it's, it is, it is a little weird. Um, like, like I'm not saying like we should like, because we don't want to romanticize that stuff, but at the same time, it's really weird that like Sebastian and Mia both seem to be doing pretty well financially. Like, even though like even though there's like kind of an allusion to like Mia spent all of her savings, like renting a theater in LA for a one woman show. How the fuck did she ever have the money to do that? Or, or Sebastian, (laughs) Sebastian, like clearly is working part time playing for tips at a restaurant as a musician. And he lives in an apartment in Los Angeles. Like he lives in a, by himself. himself. He lives in a studio. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And like, even to afford a studio by yourself in LA is so much money. So like, like on top of like, do you know how much it costs just to have car insurance in Los Angeles? Like, it's true. Like, true like it's just that. like, it's just like something is, something is missing here. And I can't help but feel like part of that is because, and I think people don't really think about that because like there is not, there is no class consciousness in the United States. And I think that is what, that is what shows up here, right? Because, like, when I think about my experience working in Hollywood, I think I think a lot about how I didn't eat very much some days because I was scared I wasn't going to have enough money to, to, to last me for all the groceries I needed, you know? Like, and That's how true. I internalized that and how that was kind of an eating disorder. And I'm someone of privilege, right? Like, That's by true. comparison, like, I had a family I could rely on for money if I really needed it. So I'm, I am I just, I find it interesting that none of that, like, for as bad as the starving artist trope is, there's none of that in here. It feels right. like, it feels like all aside. And then they have that dinner scene where they fight and, like, Mia's like, Mia's like, Mia wanted him to be in the band. And then she's like, well, you don't seem happy doing this gig. And it's like... Being also, he's be-
1: been doing this gig for, like, eight months. Like, I'm like, fucking suck it up and do the gig. It's not like he's spent a decade of his life doing something that he hates. Like, you know, like, pay your dues. Like, tour with the band for a couple years and then strategize for how you can go out on your own. Like,
0: Yeah, and we can talk about how fucked up it is that you have to pay your dues, right? Like, I think that is a fair conversation. But at the same time, it's like, it's kind of like the people, it's kind of like the cast of Rent, and how they all don't wanna pay rent. And it's like, pay your fucking rent. Right, because also,
1: Ryan Gosling's character, it's not like, normally, specifically within the vein of Hollywood, when we talk about paying your dues, we're like, you have to pay your dues by working a job that you work 60 hours a week with no overtime, make minimum wage, and have a boss who verbally abuses you and throws things at you. And that's fucked up. I would say that does not seem like a healthy way to live your life. That seems pretty wrong that we normalize that as that is paying your dues. Ryan Gosling is not, it's not like, oh no, he's paying his dues. Like I'm like, he's playing the kind of music that maybe isn't his favorite. So he can make an insane amount of money and is still with other artists who he seems to enjoy and is being creative for a living. So my sympathy of like, oh no, he should just be able to go play jazz right now. I'm like that, I I have no sympathy for that. This does not seem like a legitimate problem.
0: And I think, I think there is a conversation to be had around like this concept of like, should you, if you love what you do, is it work? Right. Is it truly work? Um, yes, it
1: is work. It is work. Even if you love what you do, this is my take.
0: Yeah. that It's so bullshit. And Hollywood, Hollywood more than so many other industries, but I, I, you see this in Broadway too. You see this in all of the entertainment industry across the board, right? Where there's this notion of, well, I love what I do. I'm so lucky to be able to get paid to create for a living. Like, and it's just like, no, you, you don't always love what you do all the time. In fact, a lot of the time you don't, it's like, it's like exactly what you were saying earlier about like, it's all of the work to get to actually do the thing. It's like, there's that Tom Hanks quote, and it's ironic that it's fucking Tom Hanks saying this, right? But like, Mm -hmm. but, but this quote has always stuck with me, which is like, Tom Hanks says the acting I do for free. It's the, it's the waiting. It's the everything else that I get paid for. And it's like, in that specific instance, Tom Hanks is referring to waiting around on set for everyone to get their shit together so he can come on and say some lines. Which is,
1: let's be clear, is 99% of being an actor. Right. like, would you like to speak for 40 seconds and then sit around for six and a half hours? Like, here here we are.
0: Right. Um, But I think there is, like, a nugget of truth in that, like, if you take that a step further, of, like, well, like, how much work do you actually have to do to get to create something? and right and we we don't we don't talk about that a lot and there's a lot of exploitation involved in that you being exploited you exploiting others like yeah. and and it's all seen under this guise of like meritocracy of like if you you're working really hard you're putting up with this exploitation and then you get discovered and then you get famous and then you get someone like emma stone where like her success as an actress is being famous which is like not an accurate representation of what being an artist is like right. for, for most people right like it shouldn't if you're go- like i feel like a lot of people go into hollywood go into acting in particular because they want to have a they want to have this giant fame they want to have platform or whatever and like that's sure. just like i think that paints an unhealthy expectation of what being an artist in society should be
1: right and i think also recognizing that the perhaps not the flip side but the other part of that is right and we essentially don't really believe that being an artist has any value we believe that it's a pretty cushy job that is either fun and fluffy or just doesn't really matter and as such i think that's how we justify the idea of paying your dues or living uh even at a very successful level as an artist that you are still part of a gig economy right? You're probably never going, I mean, shy of perhaps through your union, you are not earning things like health insurance or a pension or long-term financial stability. And that we say, well, that's fine because you're so lucky to be able to make art for a living, right? Mm-hmm. And assuming that you were working on, say, a project under the WGA, you are, let me be clear, very well compensated for your work. However, that to me doesn't really erase the fact that like, you also deserve... like regardless of what you do for a living you deserve certain basic standards of like stability and transparency and consistency and that i think hollywood in particular regardless of where you want to point those fingers really comes down on this like well you're just lucky to be here so you don't get to expect anything else like being treated well or paid on time or etc because it's like well you're just lucky that you get to be a writer you're so lucky that you get to be an actor As if being an artist is the reward, as opposed to you would never say that to your plumber or your electrician to be like, Well, being a plumber is your reward. (laughs) We don't need to pay you when you show up to do the job. Like, no, the job isn't the reward. The job is a job. And I guess it's great if you enjoy your job. And I would hope that you're not making art if you don't like being an artist. Uh, But that is not the reward. Like, because that's not how jobs work. And I think perhaps this is slightly off the rails of like love, but I think that is a lot of what we miss both within the industry. And certainly if you're talking to your parents, your uncles, God forbid other, other people badgering you at a holiday party outside of the industry, um, that there is a lot of that, that I think is very
0: problematic. When you say like uh, love, do you mean Lala land?
1: Oh shit. Yes. Oh no. <laughs> yes. I mean, La La land. God damn it. Uh, yeah. Stand by for a separate podcast. It's just Michael and I jerking each other off about the movie we made, and then we can go back to being part of the problem. I'm so sorry. Um, No, well, yeah, that is true.
0: Well, so when we're talking about like lucky to be here, the underlying notion of that, right. That never sat right with me when I was working in the film industry in, in every sense, right. Whether I was in development intern, whether I was on set or whatever, what it means is like, you're replaceable. You're replaceable. Right. There are plenty of people in line to do what you want to do. We are the gatekeepers to, to your opportunity always. And and there's this weird thing that happens where, like, people who ask for basic dignity, especially on sets, because on sets... Like, this comes up all the time, right? Like, with directors um, and young people uh, e- and even older people. Like, like you, you saw this with, like, the dynamic between Quentin Tarantino and Uma Thurman, right? Where there's right, this right. notion of, like you need to do whatever it takes for the art, right? Like you need to do whatever it takes for your art. Safety doesn't matter. Like the the art is the most important thing here. And right. Whenever people on set would bring up basic things of like, Hey, maybe you shouldn't have just pizza for lunch. Maybe because we don't get set breaks, craft services are important. Part of this. Maybe Or like, hi, we
1: need water. Like,
0: (laughs) right. But you're seen as difficult to work with. Right. And that is right. So, so fucked up. Um, right. and, and that's very common, even from people who are progressive in the industry, right? Like, that is a sure. thing that happens all the time. And it, it is kind of off the rails from La La Land a little bit, but it, it, it that is really where the whole, like, struggling to follow your dreams thing comes in, is, like, you're putting up with all of that to follow your dreams, And that part is missing from it, right? Like the most you see of that is Emma Stone is emoting and there's all these other actresses who look just like her and they're not, and they're prettier than her and, and, and they're not listening to her. They're on the phone having a conversation while she's crying. And it's like, that's true. That's disrespectful to you is your work. And that is the closest I think it actually gets. But it's not even like the reality for most people is like putting up with like, Basic financial instability, basic, lacking basic dignity and human rights while they're going through trying right. to pursue their dreams.
1: Right. And that, yeah, I get, yes. And I guess in wrapping up this section to be like, right. And those are just things you should expect any job. Those are your rights as an employee at any job. And that's not, I, I realize within the boundaries of like concrete benefits, what am I being paid per hour do I get health insurance I'm like right to a certain extent that depends upon the specific financial situation of the institution that you work for um and that that is absolutely different if you were working on a movie that's being made for thirty thousand dollars versus if you're being hired to do a job for an actual company and yes that we yes we erode the boundaries of like basic employee rights under this guise of like well it's just hard being an artist and I'm like that seems unfair Uh, The other thing that I wanted to touch on briefly I know we're starting to wrap up on time but one of the things I found very striking when I was doing some digging on Damien Chazelle aside from being I mean truly blindsided by how incredibly accomplished he is um, Hmm. and how quickly he was so successful I mean that is insane Um, but that he talks about so he made Whiplash um, a few years prior to this, based off a of proof of concept that was developed in conjunction with JJ. Abrams. or no, no, I'm sorry, not in conjunction with JJ. Abrams in conjunction with Jason Blum. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's already a pretty fucking sweet deal. Like to be like, hi, my proof of concept has J k. Simmons in it. I'm like, well, fuck you. like you're already in like a different caliber of proof of concept. Um, yeah, and went on to make Whiplash, which he won an Oscar for uh, best original. S- no, for best director.
0: Yes, J.K. For best Simmons director. won an Oscar. No, he won. He, he won. An, he didn't win anything. No, no. Damien
1: Chazelle. Damien Chazelle. No, no. I'm pretty sure he won for best director. Hang on. At 32.
0: Wikipedia. He was let's
1: nominated see. for best screenplay. Uh, for best original screenplay. No, uh, he it but, won
0: it won editing, sound mixing, and supporting actor, and was nominated for adapted screenplay and best picture. He won Best Director for La La Land. For La La
1: Land. Like, okay, well, still pretty solid, so shout out to him. Um, But that he talks about, though, he came off of Whiplash, and then, oh, and that going into Whiplash, he had wanted to make La La Land first, that this was, like, his dream project. You know, and to be like, wow, how hard he fought to, like, get his dream project made, which he ended up doing, which, again, I'm sure is super fucking hard. It's really hard to get anything greenlit in Hollywood, even if you are, like, an incredibly big name. Um... So I guess not trying to completely oversimplify that, but it is interesting to me to be like, wow, a 32 year old man got to make his dream project, which I think is wonderful that he wanted to make this project, but to me sort of boils down to like, so what was that dream? Because to say like, I wanted to tell a story about the difficulties of making it in Hollywood. I'm like, well, you'd already made it in Hollywood. Like, I don't know that you get got a lot of leeway. Like that would be different to me if a 65 year old man wanted to make a movie about like wow based upon my decades of experience in the industry and having witnessed things this is like wow i feel like my whole career has been moving toward making you know sort of a movie about movies that's a nod to to my legacy i'm full disclaimer i have not seen mank and i'm sure i won't like it um but that whatever like circle jerk of like david fincher making this black and white movie about old Hollywood. I'm like, yeah, you kind of get the right to do that because you're David Fincher. Like, I'm like, that seems fine. Um, but I, anyway, I, what I feel like I'm really, but I guess the point of the Damien Chazelle thing being like, I, yeah, I feel like, like what was his dream project? I'm like, I think his dream project was to make a musical about old Hollywood. And he did that. And I think it's a very good musical about old Hollywood, but I don't know that it's really about any of this other stuff about like, being an artist or the nuance of making it in the industry. I'm like, no, I don't really think it's about any of those things. And I don't think he thought it was about any of those things. Um, so I guess I can't begrudge him that, but I would I would be very interested in in seeing more stories about about what it takes to, to make it as a writer, as an actor, as a whatever, because we have so normalized the idea of media consumption and the sort of like, I think, especially around being a writer that like, oh, anyone can do it. And that so much of that journey while undoubtedly extremely personal and relative person to person, has just sort of become like, oh, well, like, you can just make TikToks, and that's the same thing. And I'm like, it is, in fact, not. Um, So if anyone out there is trying to make a movie about what it's like to be an artist, I would love to support your crowdfunding campaign, because I think this is an underserved niche.
0: I'm I'm less interested in it, but as far as... But I'm not going to dispute or say you can't be interested in it. But as far as Damien Chazelle goes, I guess, like, the point I would... The point I would make is like, you know, um, in film school, there was always this debate like about like what the purpose of a film undergrad degree is Um, and like whether or not you should be, uh, whether or not you should uh, go to grad school for film instead of undergrad. Uh, Because like the Mm -hmm. notion is that you don't have enough lived, the notion is that like you should have enough lived experience to as an artist to be able to have things to talk about. And what happens yeah. what happens with a lot of undergrads is we get the La, La Land type story about like I have to choose between art and following my dream. And you get this very like but it's like you're 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 in film school, like you're privileged enough to go like and film school, like to be in a good film school, right? Like you're you're paying for that. Like it's very rare for you to go to film school on a full ride, right? Like film is a very Film is not one of those things that like every state program has in a good way, right? Like if you want to be in a film school that's gonna that's gonna set you up with connections and success to make it in Hollywood, it's different, right? And so like you get people like Damien Giselle who went to Harvard in the harvard's film program and they are super successful at the age of 32 right winning an oscar making a movie about what it's like to struggle as an artist and follow your dreams and there's just something very ironic about all of that and i don't want to like take away damien giselle's conflict like like uh uh i don't want to take away damien giselle's accomplishments but i think they're i think There is a reason, like, and for all of the originality of this, for the fact that, like, he got to make an original movie musical about L.A. in this way, like, for all of that, right? Like, this is something that only a dude who had a connection to Jason Blum, and not to say he didn't work and utilize these connections, right, but this is something that only a dude who went to Harvard in their film program had a connection to Jason Blum, got to be shepherded through that process of making a movie that, jk simmons starred in right and then getting to make la la land right and win an oscar for it like at 32 like that is that is something that is very indicative of how the myth of hollywood meritocracy like literally comes crumbling down when you look at his background you look at his success and that's not knocking or to say he didn't his
1: merit right right yeah
0: and that like he did work hard and he he certainly used his connections right and like no one can blame you for doing that but it's just like well, look at who he is and where he came from and that answers all of the questions and that's part of why this movie is so frustrating to watch as somebody who didn't have those connections, who, who tried to work in LA and found it struggling and I think a lot of people, like, like the thing that we don't talk about, right, and why this movie is upsetting to me on some level is like, what about all the people who do what Mia did where they go, fuck it, I'm never gonna make it, I'm gonna go back home and now I'm gonna reevaluate my life, right? And why right. is that not a bad thing? Right, and well, what right, is I don't that? think and that what does is that a bad mean? thing. And what does that right. mean? But like, but like the number of people when I like when I was exiting the industry, people who I'm very close to, best friends with, in LA, in in the film industry, who like when I told them, "Hey, I don't want to make movies anymore. I want to do different things now." And people were like, "Well, it kind of seems like you're giving up. Kind of seems like you're failing." Right. And I think this movie is directly connected to that. Right, like. This notion sure. of like you have to work super super hard and put up with the bullshit, or and if you don't right. want to do that, you're giving up, right? Right. Instead of like, instead of like, right. what are the ways I can be an artist right now that don't involve this Hollywood version of that story?
1: Sure. Well, but to me, I don't think it's about that. I think it's a. I think this is a separate conversation about the way in which we talk about career as a lifelong pursuit. I think it's the way in which we talk about career sort of like the way we talk about true love. Like you know it when you see it and that it never ever that's a flame that never goes out. And I don't think that's true. Right? Not that and I mean I I know you and was in your life when this was happening and like right, it's not I mean this this just wasn't what you wanted. And that's not about whether or not you can't hack it or like oh no, you couldn't have continued to put. It's like no, this just wasn't worth it to you. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with that and that's not, you know, yeah like and going to grad school doesn't seem worth it to me and sort of like oh it's because you're too dumb for grad school i'm like no that just doesn't based upon a variety of complex situations in my life does not feel like the choice i'm making right now so i do think it's important to recognize far outside the bounds of being creative for a living just the way in which we see like you know this very sort of 1980s model of like no your job is something that you do when you get out of college and you do it until you die. And I'm
0: just like, I don't know. I don't think that's really, And it's every, really it's,
1: true anymore. And, and it's and,
0: not just that you do it till you die. It's everything you are as a person, which is, I right, think, of course, which, which I guess would maybe be my main critique of La La Land. Right. Is like, who are Sebastian and Mia outside of this one artistic passion? Because that's not sure. all they are as people. Right? right. And, but like, that is what they are reduced to for this story. And I think sure. that is harmful, I guess.
1: I guess, but I mean it's also a pretty overly simplified story period, and I think that if I think trying to make it as a creative because essentially what you do when you're not being creative is you work jobs that people deem have pretty much no value at all, right? As in you're working in the service industry or you're doing gig stuff or whatever. Like I don't I don't I don't find there anything problematic of like oh we're reducing mm-hmm. these people into whatever because yeah, I think the reality if you live in Hollywood and you work three jobs so that you can make art in your free time so you can try and get a job as someone who will be doing that soon, I think that is the reality of your life and the sort of like, well, what are you when you're not making art? It's like nothing like asleep sleep or eating a snack. Um, and maybe that's the problem. Maybe the problem is like, Oh, like your life does not have any space for you to pursue other things, but that perhaps that is the weighted math of that, that, you know, for, I guess we don't have to make it about hypothetical people. We can say about Sebastian and Mia that like, right, that, that you're all in. And that mm-hmm. that is your whole pie. Um, and I guess whether or not that's healthy or the best way to live your life, that that is ultimately the decision many folks make when it comes to to being creative. Well, and they were so all in, right, that they
0: had to give up on each other.
1: Right, right, which makes no sense. And maybe is not that we need to talk about this on this podcast, but I do think becomes a sort of, especially with, like, female characters. So I think it's interesting that, like, it's really more of, like, Sebastian kind of can't make it work more than Mia, but the ways in which we often juxtapose female characters is like oh like you have to choose work over love like you can only have one you can't have it all which makes no sense of course
0: you can have it all like men get to have it all all the time is what you're saying like male characters
1: yeah uh, and again i don't think that's really relevant to this film but that is a trope that i think we we see appear in in other kinds of media that i do think is problematic um sure so yeah so i guess in conclusion uh i like this movie I think it's a good movie. I don't really think it's an important movie. Um, and I don't say that as like a, I think no one should watch it, but like, I don't think it's really an important film, but, uh, the next time you're homesick or it's raining outside, you, and you, if you haven't seen this movie, God forbid, I I think it's a, it's a fun romp. It's worth, worth checking out.
0: Yeah. I'm never going to tell people don't watch La La Land. Um, I honestly, I thought it was a better movie than Moonlight. Um, Am I really? glad? Yeah, am I glad Moonlight won best picture? Sure. Um because I don't agree with war, with the Oscars as a concept. Sure, sure. But like which wh- when I say better movie like I like which movie am I going to watch over and over again? La La sure. Land. Am I going to wa- yeah. I've watched Moonlight once and maybe it's just that I don't want to sit in someone's pain of being a bla- a gay black man over and over again, which like is a different conversation of like when it comes to like movies about different viewpoints. Right. And how Hollywood mostly makes movies about pain, but like, yeah, this, this movie, like this movie is not about pain. Um, and there is something enjoyable about that, that I am always happy to revisit. And I am happy to live in the fantasy land. That is La La land, you know, all the time, but recognize, Hey, this is a fantasy. This isn't the full story. There's some stuff happening in here that we should talk about and be aware of. Like any yeah. piece of art.
1: Yeah. And last thing I want to plug on this podcast, I just rewatched Brigsby Bear, which is a fucking delightful film about making movies that you should totally go watch. It's fucking Kyle Mooney from SNL and, uh, oh my god, The Lonely Island. Help me out here. Uh,
0: Andy Samberg Um,
1: Andy Samberg and it's just like a super cute indie movie about like what it means to make art and I liked it the first time I saw it and I was so sad the other day right after watching La La Land and I watched it again and I loved it so I do enjoy I think my last talking point is I think the kinds of stories that actually do capture more of like the playful nuance for me of being not just an artist but being a filmmaker tend to be like really small kind of indie darling stuff um And maybe there's something to be said for like, oh shit, you had one opportunity to make a very small movie and you want to make it about making movies where I'm like, I don't know, maybe you could have made it about something else. But I was thinking (laughs) about that. I was thinking about me and Earl and the Dying Girl. Um, I was thinking about not truly an indie darling, but the disaster artist. Um, And I think some of those stories for me capture more of like kind of how I feel about, uh, yeah, the work, the work I do or the creative industry. So those are certainly
0: worth checking out as well. Word. And disclosure, I did work on The Disaster Artist, so I'm biased. Oh, really? Uh, Not in, like, any authoritative capacity Michael
1: directed the... No, just kidding. No, Um, I
0: never met James Franco, and I'm glad (laughs) I didn't, because James Franco is deservedly canceled. Yeah, totally. Um, uh, But, Yeah.
1: Yeah um well thank you all so much and we will actually be back next week we are getting ready to hop in for a double recording session so we will be here to entertain you this week and next week and then hopefully get our shit together to do this more consistently otherwise if you have thoughts concerns comments please hit us up and we will hear from you next time Work. blockbusted is an independently produced podcast created by lily yasuda and michael Wolf. Our theme song is Retro Future Clean by Kevin MacLeod. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Music, or anywhere else you choose to get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe, and if it is on Apple Music, take the time to leave a positive review so other listeners can find us. If you have thoughts, comments, or future episode suggestions, feel free to reach out at blockbustedpod at gmail.com. That's blockbustedpod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.